Sir Thomas More, in the year 1516, he wrote a book called Utopia. And in this book, he describes an imaginary island in the Pacific Ocean where the ideal commonwealth of people lived under perfect conditions. In this book, Utopia, he says it was a land of peace, of prosperity, of plenty, a land free of crime and poverty. And such were their contempt for wealth that they would use their gold to make vessels for the bathroom. In Utopia, there were no lawyers, no doctors, no courts. The police did not exist. It was a very peaceful, harmonious society. Utopia sounds like a wonderful world. And people have longed for and have always desired such a land. And many books have been written about such a place. You know, the philosopher Plato, long before Sir Thomas More, he also wrote about such a society in a book that he called The Republic. And he also had an island which is very similar to Utopia. And you'll find this earthly paradise occurs in the Greek and medieval Norse writings. The Celts and the Arabs describe this earthly paradise as being in the western or the Atlantic Ocean. And they called their paradise Atlantis. And I'm sure you've all heard of the, the lost city of Atlantis. Believe it or not, there was one man who was an Austrian. His name was Theodore Hetzker. And in 1845... Theodore Hesker said that this blissful world of utopia was, in of all places, Central Africa. Now, apart from all these things, many, many writers have written books about a perfect society, about heaven on earth, about a utopia. And do you know that many, many people have actually tried to form communes where paradise anew has been a treasured dream. But try as they might, that's all that it has been, a treasured dream. A man called Nathaniel Hawthorne was one of the original me members of a commonwealth called Brook Farm. And he wrote a book called The Blydale Romance. And in that book he says this, he said, the idea of a noble and unselfish life was a high-minded experiment that after seven years failed. Four years later, in 1851, an anarchist named Josiah Warren also started a utopian commune. And that was based on individual sovereignty. Today we would call that doing your own thing. And they did. But they did their own thing for only six years before it too failed. It became another unreachable star. The Utopians who started a settlement called Harmony, that was in Indiana in 1814, they were a very industrious and a very religious people. And they were convinced of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 
But harmony, once again, remained for only a very short while. And harmony closed down. A Welshman called Robert Owen. He bought the settlement. And he renamed the settlement New Harmony. But this what he called an empire of good sense lasted for only two years. And the elusive utopia was just that. It was elusive. And yet the search has gone on. The social upheavals of the 1960s also generated the utopias. The hippie communes on their spin-offs. And we all know about those things. And the hippie cult is not pleasant to contemplate. And even on this very day in South Africa, there's a group of people who are called the Blow Rockies. That phrase means blue dresses. And these very elegant women in their blue dresses and in their beautiful blue hats also have a commune. And they have little villages. And they desperately try to create their own utopia. Everybody would like to live in a utopia. But you know, it's very interesting. When Sir Thomas More coined the phrase utopia, he took two Greek words. One meaning not, and the other meaning a place. Utopia is nowhere. Utopia is no place. Utopia is not around. And the one man that man has always desired and dreamed about and wrote about and even tried out is a myth. It is imaginary. It's non-existent. It is nowhere to be found. And no wonder Thomas More called this world of perfection, this land of harmony, this treasured dream utopia. Because it is nowhere to be found. People have dreamed the impossible dream. Because it is impossible to have a utopia right now. Because people have tried it and they have often tried it and failed. And we still see wars, fightings, takeovers, which have become leftovers. We hear of murders, assassinations, abductions, violence, starvation, guerrilla activity. We see anything but utopia. But why? Why should utopia, a perfect society working for the good of all, why is it impossible? Why shouldn't we have a world at peace, filled with joy, filled with prosperity, and filled with harmony? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we have a true commonwealth of people living in this utopian existence? You know something, brethren? One day, in the not too distant future, it is going to come. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, and verse 14, Mark, chapter 1, and verse 14, <clears throat> we find here at this day that John the Baptist had been put in prison, and Jesus Christ was just about to start his ministry. And he preached the very thing that people 
have searched for and desired for generations. He preached about a coming utopia, which he called the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, it says, Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Your time is fulfilled. He's saying, You have tried for 6,000 years to bring about a utopian state, and you have failed. So the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm coming back to give it to you. And as we say in America, brother, you had better believe it. Christ said the kingdom of God is drawing near. And the kingdom of God is a central theme of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And it's rather interesting to give that theme emphasis. That phrase, this kingdom, is 46 times mentioned in Matthew, 31 times in Luke, and 14 times in the book of Mark. That equals 91 times. Now, if we allow for repetition, there still remains 61 separate sayings of Jesus about the soon coming kingdom of God. 61. 6 plus 1 is 7. The Feast of Tabernacles is in the seventh month. It lasts for seven days. And seven is the biblical number for perfection. But where is this kingdom to be? How long will it last? Who is in charge of it? What will this kingdom be like? Will it indeed be the much sought after but never found utopia? Well, today let's find out the answer to these questions by turning to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> book of Revelation, <clears throat> chapter 19 and verse 11. Book of Revelation, chapter 19, 11. <clears throat> Now, because of the Feast of Tabernacles, we must realize that this Feast of Trumpets, that there are three feasts mentioned where the trumpet sounds. There's the, the Day of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Day of Tabernacles. This takes place when the trumpet sounds. And this is one place in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. He said, Now as I saw heaven opened, I behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges, and he makes war, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. Now in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 14, it says that Christ wears one large giant golden crown. That designates him as the king of kings, superior to all other kings. Here mentioned in verse 12, 
he has a number of small crowns. The Greek there are diadems. A kind of a headband that denotes and signifies all of the other offices that he will hold over and above him being king of kings and lord of lords. He says in verse 13, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them. There comes our rulership. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads down the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robes and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a beautiful set of scriptures. What a beautiful set of scriptures. In in chapter 20 and verse 1, it says... Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up. And he set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So here it states that Christ is going to come back to this earth for one thousand years. That's commonly called the millennium. Because millennium is a Latin word that does mean one thousand. It's going to be a fantastic time. This is the time setting for the coming of the kingdom of God. In Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. He's talking about God's world government. Jesus Christ is our King of kings and Lord of lords. And it states that he is coming back with all of his saints, you and I. And you and I will create utopia here on God's good green earth. The one thing that humanity has desired and always yearned for, ever since Adam and Eve, it will be here upon the earth. And it's going to begin in Jerusalem, and it's going to go around the world. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign on the earth. The government of God 
Jesus Christ and the saints. The book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, chapter 14 and verse 3. Christ and his saints are on a mission. A mission. And what do you think the very first prime consideration is of this beautiful land called Utopia? What is the very first thing that they need? Well, let's find out. Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. It said, And then the Lord will go forth and fight against all nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. And half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half of it towards the south. Then says, You shall flee through the valley and the mountain, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. That phrase, uh, all the saints with you, should really read, as the Vulgate has this, and all the saints will be with him. All the saints will be with him. And it says in verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, The Lord is one, and his name is one. And the land shall be turned to, uh, into a plain from Geba to Rimon south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate, and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepress. Look, brethren, at verse 11. And the people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. The very first part of our mission is to bring peace to Jerusalem and to the entirety of the world. Peace to a world that has seldom seen and known peace. Throughout history, men and women have been slaughtered, have been butchered by warring nations against warring nations. They have been killed by man's inhumanity towards man. They have been killed by the wickedness of evildoers. But the Scriptures, brethren, show you and it shows me that that is very, very fast running out. Psalm 37 is a very beautiful psalm. Psalm 37. <clears throat> a very, very wonderful psalm which talks about those that inherit the earth. What this earth, this utopian earth, is going to be like is talking about and depicted by the Feast of Tabernacles. Chapter 37 of the book of Psalms, in verse 9, it says this, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. It's speaking about this time, the Feast of Tabernacles, the millennial rule of Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse uh, 10, For yet a little while, 
and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Even if you go out and try to search and find wickedness, you won't find it. It's going to be no more upon the face of the earth. Then he said in verse 22, he said, For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Verse 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. And his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Beautiful phraseology. Verse 34. Wait on the Lord. Keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet I passed by, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. And verse 37, he said, Mark the blameless man, and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. How beautiful that is. How beautiful that is. The future of that man is peace. What a wonderful psalm. But peace, what is peace? Is peace just the absence of wars? One of the most lacking elements in our world today is peace. Peace among nations. Peace among ethnic groups. Peace within families. The word of the prophet has never been truer when it says, The way of peace they have not known. And Isaiah was very strong in Isaiah 59 and verse 8 when he said that. The way of peace people do not know. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 3 and verse 17. The way of peace they know not. You remember that song from the movie The Man of La Mancha? To dream the impossible dream. Lasting peace seems to be an unreachable star. Whether you try to gain it by force, by alliances, by diplomacy, or by simply ignoring a problem. Peace today is elusive. And around the world and in every nation, the way of peace they have not known. Utopia is no place. But Jesus Christ and the saints will make utopia, that impossible dream, a positive reality. Think about it. Permanent peace on the earth. Book of Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> Isaiah 9 and verse 6. <clears throat> This tells us that a new world government is coming. And it placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And that government is a government, government of peace. Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6. It says this. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Look at this next one. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and of all his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Will perform it. And he is going to perform it. Peace. The peace that Jesus Christ brings will be permanent. He says it's going to cover the entirety of the earth, beginning in Jerusalem and spreading all over the earth. Peace with incredible, continually throughout his reign. Continual peace. It really is something to behold. If you just keep a marker here, because I want to come back to this scripture. <clears throat> and let's go to um, Psalm 72. <clears throat> Psalm 72. <clears throat> because this also is just a very, very beautiful psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. And it's talking about utopia. It's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles in its fulfillment. And some amazing things are going to happen. And it reiterates that God's government will bring peace. And that peace will be continual. It even tells us how long that peace will last. In Psalm 72, beginning in verse... I'll begin in verse 2, I think. In Psalm 72, beginning in verse 2. He said, He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains, the government of God, will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He'll bring justice to the poor of his people. He will save the children of the needy and he will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his death the righteousness shall flourish. This is a time and the length of time that peace will endure. Verse 7 again. In his day the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. Isn't that beautiful? Peace until the moon is no more. Once again, as you say in America, wow. Can you believe a world like that? Until the moon is no more. That is a fantastic piece of scripture. But go back to the book of Isaiah again. Book of Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 verse 6, it says this. <clears throat> The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion shall dwell together, a little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, the young one shall lie down together, as the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, 
and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Then comes one of my most favorite scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. Verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Brethren, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that truly wonderful? Nothing shall hurt in all of my holy mountain. You find that so important that he reiterates that in chapter 65 and verse 20, 25. What a beautiful phrase it is. You know the United Nations in New York, <clears throat> at the headquarters, they have a statue there symbolizing man's dream of one day seeing the end of war. You know, war is a very terrible thing. Even if you have not been in a war, we have all seen films about warfare. This very day, people are still at war. In the Philippines, there is bombings going on and people are getting killed. In Africa, people are starving to death and being butchered by other Africans. We have no idea of the pain and the suffering and the heartache that people today are going through. And it's not one or two. It is millions of people. But this statue here symbolizes the end of war. This great muscular bronze image. All a hammer up high. And he is forging a sword into a plow. A sword into a plow? For mankind that has been an unobtainable dream. But for Christ the Prince of Peace. This is a sure promise. With man it is impossible, with God all things are possible. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. You know something? This is a twofold prophecy. <clears throat> Fulfillment of this prophecy will require a restructuring of a global ecosystem. But we also should note that all the animals mentioned here are symbolic of nations and their peaceful dwelling together, just like the animals. This represents the end of war among people. And you'll find as you go through the scriptures that the lamb, the kid, the calf, the fatling, the ox and the cow often appear in Scripture pertaining to the generally peace-loving Israelitish peoples. But the animals, it mentions, like the leopard, the lion, and the bear. Daniel 7 mentions those creatures to symbolize the great Gentile nations, the predator nations. In the book of Jeremiah... Now I'll just read this to you. The book of Jeremiah, and chapter 4, just proves this point. <clears throat> Jeremiah 4 and verse 5. Jeremiah 4 and verse 5. <clears throat> say, before in Judah, or declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, 
Blow the trumpet in the land. This is warfare. Blow the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together and say, Assemble yourselves. Let's go into the forty-five cities. Set up the standard towards Zion. Take refuge. Do not delay. For I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. Then what it says in verse 7. The lion has come up from his thicket. The destroyer of nations. So God likens these animals to the Gentile nations who are the predator nations. In chapter 5 and verse, let's see, verse 6. You can read all this as well, still about this great big war that's, that's going to come. It says, therefore a lion from the forest shall slay them. That is a nation. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them, and a leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn to pieces. The leopard, the lion, the wolf represents Israel's enemies. Now the Prince of Peace is going to come back and he will change the wild nature of the beasts among animals but the beasts among men. Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 6 to 9 shows world peace in the natural realm and world peace in a unified human race along with this scripture here. When the wild animals and the wild humans who cause war and destruction and heartache, they will also be changed, living in a peaceful, harmonious situation. Brethren, what a beautiful reality. What a beautiful reality. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. Book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Remember, Christ is the one who proclaims peace to the nations, who brings glad tidings of good things. He's the one that's going to bring utopia to this land. And brethren, this is the way it will be. Christ first announces this intent, and then he fulfills his promise. Zechariah chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a fall of a donkey. Well, of course, that was fulfilled. Verse 10. I will cut off a chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle boy shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth the ends of the earth Jesus Christ will proclaim peace to every nation on earth he will not just speak it either because Christ has the ability to encourage it and to enforce it with a rod of iron. But there will be peace. There will be peace. Nothing shall hurt in all of my holy mountain. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 4. 
<clears throat> Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. No rockets coming over, you know, from Hamas and these other people. They're going to sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. The street of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Do you think that could happen today? No. No. There's no utopia today. Children don't go out in the streets to play today. He said at the end of verse 16. He said, these things he said, you shall do. He said, speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Peace. And peace is going to come. What a wonderful time that will be. At the very end of verse 19, he said the same thing. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Internalize it. Deep down into your mind, there is coming a time when there will be peace on this good green earth. And the intent of these words is to show us that this is a reality and the scripture cannot be broken. It would be safe for the children to, in a way it is not safe in any city on the earth today. And people will love our truth, justice, and peace. You know something else? It's talking about Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will not be alone in this regard. Book of Isaiah, chapter 32. <clears throat> Isaiah, chapter 32. And verse 18. This expands on the promise of prevailing peace in tomorrow's world. And what a feeling that will be. No fear, no harm, no loss of individual freedom, nobody coming to attack or to plunder or to destroy or to kill. It's hard to realize today, as I've just said, the scripture cannot be broken. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 18. It says, He said, My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in a quiet resting place. Isn't that beautiful? Let's go back to verse 16. He said, Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and the righteous remain in a fruitful land. The work of righteousness will be peace. Cause and effect. What a beautiful thing it is. Righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation. Beautiful words. A beautiful thing to look forward to. For us, our children, and children's children all the way down for a thousand years. But you know, peace is a little bit more than that. Peace is a little bit more than freedom from aggression. Aggression from without, or even from crime from within, and the violence from within. 
That Hebrew word peace means shalom. Now that is a very well-known word, shalom. It means peace. But that word is, is made to understand and as an encompassing everything that contributes to contentment, security, and tranquility. In Dr. William Barclay, in his book, The Dictionary of New Testament Words, he says this. He said, in the New Testament sense, peace is not just the absence of trouble. It is everything that makes for our highest good. Everything that makes for our highest good. In the biblical sense, peace means all that true peace could give to a human being. Freedom from war, safety at home, prosperity, good health, long fruitful lives. This is what life will be like when the Prince of Peace establishes the government of God on the earth. In the book of Ezekiel, once again, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. <clears throat> throughout, one, throughout time, one of the greatest problems of peace has been want. Not enough food, not enough clothing, not enough shelter, not feeling safe or secure in the land. But brethren, this is going to change. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 22. Ezekiel 34 and verse 22. It says this. Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and between uh, sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. And cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell in the wilderness. And they will sleep in the woods. Then the trees of the field, in verse 27, shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord that I, when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them. But they shall dwell safely, and no one will make them afraid. That is beautiful. Chapter 37 and verse 24. Where it is repeated, 37 verse 24, says this. It says, My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. 
Nothing temporal about this at all. This utopia is permanent. And this utopia will come. Michael was inspired to write that everybody shall sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. And none shall make them afraid. What a beautiful picture of a society that works. A utopian society where there is peace, safety, contentment, compassion, and love. You know, I said that throughout time, one of the greatest setbacks to peace was want. But there is a second root cause. In that book called Dictionary of Quotations, it says this, Since wars began in the minds of men, it is in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. In the minds of men. You know that in 1951, General Sir Douglas MacArthur delivered a historic address before the joint session of Congress. And he founded his speech on the solution to war. Now at the end of that speech, and I quote, I have his speech in toto in my house. This is what he said. He said, we have had our last chance. If we will not devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. It must be of the Spirit if we are to save the flesh. Profound words. The history of man has been a history of wars. Man cannot solve his own problems. There has to be a change in our human nature. Now, without this change, from carnal to spiritual, from carnality to spirituality, Utopia will always be an impossible dream. But as we have just seen, as the nature of the animals will be changed, so will the nature of mankind be changed. In Ezekiel chapter 36, just back two pages in the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24. <clears throat> God is saying, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from all of your idols. Look at brethren, verse 26. I will give you a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments, and you will do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Isn't that beautiful? The spiritual restoration of humanity is the most important change that will occur. During this millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and with God's Holy Spirit, 
It's going to enable people to willingly and enthusiastically obey the laws and the commandments of God. God's Spirit in people will produce phenomenal social changes, universal righteousness, honorable leadership, a stable society, and the Scripture cannot be broken. The book of Micah, chapter 1, I beg your pardon, Micah chapter 4 and verse 1. Jonah, Micah. Micah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people will flow to it and many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. What a joy! What a joy! The millions of soldiers who have died over the years and over the centuries. And people, women and children in warfare, those who have been badly injured and end their lives in agony. When this becomes a reality, when peace is here, what a joy. What a tremendous joy. They shall beat their swords in the plowshares, and their spears and the pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Isn't that just too beautiful? Too beautiful. On the national and international level, the only way to permanent peace is through God's direct and powerful intervention in human affairs and His restoring of all things. Changes are going to be made. And these ch changes will be permanent from one generation to another. Isaiah chapter 56. <clears throat> Book of Isaiah chapter 56. And verse 68. As people from other nations see what happens in Jerusalem and its environs, people will want to become the servants of the Lord their God. They will want to obey His laws. It says in Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 6. He said, also the sons of the foreigner will join themselves to the Lord and serve him, and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. What did we read twice about his covenant? It is a covenant of peace. A future utopia. 
Even them I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yes, I will gather to him others beside those who are gathered to him. The whole world will eventually be gathered to one. And God's house is a house of prayer to all peoples. What a beautiful picture. Finally, the barriers will be down between nations. Like the Berlin Wall, they're going to be torn down. And this will occur because they will eventually realize, as the Apostle Paul wrote, it is the power of God to salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Isaiah 65 and verse 21. Isaiah 65 and verse 21. He said, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble like they do today. I see every day of men and women, husbands and wives, weeping over their sons who have gone out to fight for the country, gone out in a time of trouble. Though they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion and the ox shall eat straw. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt that second favorite scripture of mine. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain. So says the Lord. What a beautiful time that will be. What a beautiful and wonderful utopian world with the wonderful physical and spiritual rejuvenation. These scriptures are a vision of the wonderful world tomorrow. It's not just an illusion. This is a promised reality. These promises will be fulfilled because the scriptures cannot be broken. And that peace... That peace will not be an impossible dream after all. Indeed, godly peace is guaranteed to cover the entire earth as waters cover the sea. What a beautiful thing. The combination of giving humanity God's Holy Spirit and teaching the whole world the principles and the laws and the ways of God will produce a very lasting world peace and their society blessed beyond our wildest dreams. And what a glorious time that will be. Utopia. Utopia. The exciting, glorious, wonderful world tomorrow. Father, your kingdom come.